If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll get there in just a moment. Uh, On our notes section of the bulletin, you'll see uh, we're starting a new sermon series called Disciples. And so throughout that series, we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so there on your note page, our mission statement of our church is listed. It says, the driving purpose at Calvary is to lead every person to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And so that's, that's the driving force, that's the decision-making process by which we ought to do everything that we do. That we don't just make converts, we don't just hold worship services and Bible studies, but through everything we do, we want to make fully devoted followers, or for the sake of this series, fully devoted disciples of Jesus. So when you hear that word disciple, what do you think of? What do you think of when you hear that word disciple? Many of you may hear disciple and think of like the 12 disciples, you know, Matthew and James and John and, and all the guys there, those 12 men that, that followed Jesus all throughout his public ministry on earth. And so that's what you think of when you hear of disciple. And, and Jesus, though, if you read the New Testament, He really called anyone, not just the 12, but anyone who believed in him, who followed him, he called them his disciple. So that term disciple, particularly in their day, was not a uniquely Christian term. And so disciple in their day in the original language just meant a student, a pupil, an apprentice. And so if you were a philosopher, you were a religious leader, you would gather students unto yourself so that you could teach them. Uh, Several hundred years before Jesus was around, a well-known philosopher we would know, Plato, he was a Greek philosopher in the same culture. He recruited disciples. He had disciples, one of which we know was Aristotle. And so philosophers had disciples, well-known rabbis, prominent rabbis, they had disciples. And so if you were a philosopher or rabbi, you would enlist disciples You would pour your your knowledge into them. You would pass down your understanding of life to them. You would replicate yourself within them so that when you're gone, the message or the teaching would continue. So when Jesus comes and he begins his public ministry as a teacher, some called him a rabbi, he also enlisted disciples. He poured himself into them. He taught them his understanding and way of life. He replicated himself in them so that When he was gone, his message would continue. And so at Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, uh, the subtitle, if you're looking in a Bible, it it may be something like the first disciples or the calling of the first disciples. It may say that little section. Now, Matthew didn't write that. He just wrote the book. We came later, put those subtitles. And so we see here, this is the the calling of, of the disciples, the first one. So let's jump in. And read that. Matthew chapter 4, look in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. So Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so if you read this the way Matthew writes his gospel, 
So we're in chapter four, Matthew one and two talks about the genealogy of Jesus. What we kind of know, the events of the Christmas story is birth, the wise men, those kind of things. They've talked about the baptism and the temptation of Jesus and all of these things. And so we get to chapter four and, and Matthew, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, is going to kind of now tell us about Jesus recruiting disciples unto himself. And if you were to read that as standalone, it, it's kind of an abrupt story. It's kind of just an abrupt, succinct story that here's Jesus. We've just been introduced to him. Uh, he's the one that was been promised from long ago. He has this incredible genealogy that proves that. He was baptized, tempted. He was all of these things. And now he's ready to do his public ministry. So the first thing he's going to do is get some followers. So it just seems as if he woke up one day and went to the Sea of Galilee, was looking around, saw these four guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and thought, they seem like good prospects. I'm going to go ask them, do they want to follow me? And they look around and go, sure, why not? And so they leave and they start to follow him. Is that all there is to that story? What, what's going on, really? What, what's the backstory of what we just read? From this passage, what, what can we learn then about what it means to be an actual disciple of Jesus. And so today for our, our time together, can I organize the message around what I call three steps to becoming a disciple. Three steps to becoming a disciple, and I go ahead and give them to you. They're invitation, surrender, and transformation. We'll talk through them in a moment. Invitation, surrender, and transformation. We see that in the passage. And so let's start then with the invitation, with the invitation. And so we saw that Peter and Andrew, Jesus, the words that he says are, come, follow me. With James and John, it just says he called to them. So we can probably correctly assume he said something similar to them to come, follow me. And so this was an invitation from him to be their disciple. And so question I want us to consider at this point is, is did they understand what was going on there? Uh, did they understand that Jesus was making more or less a formal invitation to them to be his disciple? I mean, from the story, there were no questions. I mean, it wasn't like James and John went, well, well tell me a little bit about what, what, what do you want me to do? Or, or tell me a little bit about yourself or, or any of that. But, but from their response, it seems as if I think we can assume that they understood what Jesus was asking. They understood what was going on. And how do we know that? Well, it doesn't say here, but we know from Scripture that this wasn't the first time Peter and Andrew, at least, met Jesus. This wasn't the first time. Flip over if you have a Bible or you can read on the side screens. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 talks about kind of the first time that they actually met Jesus. It says this, John 1.35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. So John the Baptist has disciples as well. So here he's with two of his disciples, his followers. He's pouring into them. When he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples of John the Baptist heard him say that, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, come and you'll see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. And it was about the 10th hour later in the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing he did was go find his brother Simon and tell him and said, look, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought Peter 
to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. So we know from this and a few other stories, a little better chronology of what went on that that some of these disciples had met Jesus previously. In fact, in this, this encounter, we know that at least Peter and Andrew came to the conclusion that he was the Messiah. So they had belief in Jesus. They had belief. They believed he was the Messiah. But at some point, they went back home. They started fishing again. They went about regular life. So they believed, but catch this, they weren't committed. They believed, but they weren't committed. And perhaps that describes some of us or that describes a point in our life. We believed in Christ, but we weren't quite committed to him. And there was a reason for that for them. They knew how disciples were selected in that day. There was a certain process. So if you were a Jewish young boy, uh, your parents may put you into school where you would go and learn about Jewish law, Jewish traditions in hopes then of becoming like a, a rabbi or just a religious leader. And as you got a little older, 13, 14, even 15, uh, the rabbis would come then and test you would examine you to see if you were material to be their disciple. And so they would come along, they would test you, and if, if they thought you were disciple material, then they would extend an invitation to you to come be with them. But if you didn't qualify, let's say, then, then you would just finish school, you would go back home, you would learn the trade or the skill of your father or your family, you would learn that trade, make a living, have a family, and there was nothing wrong with that, that's just the way... It went in being a disciple, being selected to be a disciple. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, they believe he's the Messiah. They call him rabbi. I think it's safe to assume that they thought Jesus at some point would select disciples. He would have some people he would extend an invitation to to come and follow him. But catch this, at their age, in Matthew chapter 4, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were way past the age of being a candidate. In some ways, they were past their primes. By all standards of the world, being fishermen, they didn't qualify to be a disciple. Uh, This past week, um, my son plays on a middle school soccer team, and so our coach, uh, who is Clay Isles, our missions pastor here, put together a father versus son soccer game, okay? You can see where this is going, okay? And so it was a lot of fun. We got there and played, and, and I, I was goalie, and so I got to see a lot of the action take place. And, and we have some guys that are in shape and know what they're doing, but I'll just say, including myself, for the most of us, I would say we're not qualified to play competitive soccer, okay? We're not qualified in that way from the outside looking in. And so from the outside looking in, the disciples, they really didn't meet the criteria to be disciples. And so think about the power of this moment. Think about the power of the moment when this man, Jesus, who they believe to be the Messiah, comes to them and extends a formal invitation to them to be his disciple. They themselves knew they weren't worthy. They themselves knew they didn't qualify, but the Savior of the world was there asking them to be his disciple. See, for us, Scripture makes it clear that we, you and I, we're in this together, that We're not qualified to be a disciple of Jesus. I mean, Paul, in fact, had some pretty harsh words about this, some strong words. Romans chapter 3, 10 through 11. 
says this, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Paul's making the the argument there in Romans chapter 3 that we all are alike under sin. We've all been corrupted by sin. Because of sin, we are disqualified. We are separated from following God. So some of us in this room that we didn't need Scripture to help us feel that, did we? We know what we've done in our past. We know who we've been. We don't feel like disciple material. There's some of us, we've, we've been in church and we feel like we lived a good life, but, but Scripture tells us that we don't qualify either, that our sin still disqualifies us and separates us from what God wants us. But, but in His mercy, but in His grace, Jesus comes to you, Jesus comes to me, and He invites you to be His disciple. He invites you to come follow him. Jesus said this, John chapter 12, that you would hear the words here. He says, and when I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus saying, when I'm lifted up from the earth, in other words, when I, when I take my place on the cross, when I bear your sin, when I bear, when he bears my sin, when he pays the price, when he covers our sin, that the cross qualifies you and me for discipleship. The cross brings mercy and grace and a new life and a new standing with him that we could stand because of the cross and hear the invitation of God to come and follow him that we don't have it on our own. But because of the cross, because of what he did, we stand ready and available to be his disciple. And so as the Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they hear what Jesus said, they had a choice to make. They had a decision. In the same way, I want you to hear the words of Jesus to you because of the cross. He says, come, you follow me. Like then before, you may have belief, but, but are you committed? Have you responded to that invitation to follow Jesus? You may know things about him, but are you walking in his steps? You had a choice to make. The the first disciples had a choice to make, and they made it, which leads to our second step of becoming a disciple, is surrender. Is surrender. So we hear the invitation of God. Because of the cross, it is ours. And then then we have a choice. It is our choice, our decision to make. What do we do with that invitation? And they surrendered everything. Now, to surrender something means to give yourself over to someone or something, to give up your rights. And so most of the time, we may view that as a, as a negative. We have to give up something. We have to give up our rights. But when it comes to following Jesus, it's, it's all for our good. It's all for our good to turn over everything we have to him. And it says... When they hear the invitation, it says, at once. It says, immediately, they responded. What does it say they do? It says, they dropped their nets. James and John, it says, they, they left their boat. They left their father. And so, so what, what would cause them, in that moment, to immediately make that decision so decisive to leave their source of income to leave what they knew in life, what was familiar to them, to leave even their father, 
their family? What, what would cause them to make that choice to surrender everything to Jesus? And I think it's as simple as this, because they counted him worthy. They counted Jesus as the Messiah worthy of anything they could give up. That if they reckoned, if he was the Messiah of the world, then all of this other stuff, it doesn't matter. They counted what they were to gain with him as greater than what they stood to lose. And so what about us? We're faced with a decision. We're faced with an invitation to come and follow Jesus. But we understand, as they did, that that invitation to be a disciple of a rabbi would cost you everything. You would have to leave everything. As a young boy, you would, you would have to leave school. You'd have to leave your family to go and, and follow that rabbi. And so when Jesus comes to us, there, there's that understanding by him that, that your response requires complete surrender. And so for these first disciples, they, they had to leave their jobs, their family, and And I would say for some of us in that room, that calling is on our life that to follow Jesus, sometimes we may have to to pivot in life and to shift course and to change that may be career, that may be enter into a time where things aren't as secure as they are now. It it may mean to to be separated from the closeness and the familiarity and the comfort of family in order to follow Jesus. Are you willing to surrender in that way? For some of us, it may not require a change of job. It may not require moving, but, but are we open-handed before God? Are we willing to say, Jesus, whatever I have, whatever I have is yours. My, my ambition, my agenda, my plans for life, everything is yours. So if you've heard the invitation, have you surrendered? Have you surrendered everything? Is there an area of your life, is there an area in my life that I've not given over to him? Hear the words of Jesus to come follow him and understand that means we surrender everything. And so they they hear the invitation, they surrender everything, and then we see they, they are being transformed. That The third step is transformation. It says, Jesus says, you come, you follow me, and I will make you. I will make you fishers. Of men, you're going to take on a new identity, but it's a process. It's a process that requires transformation. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus. And so, if you were a a teenager and you decided to follow a rabbi and you became his disciples, you you went wherever he went. And so, you you didn't learn at a distance. You learned up close. You didn't show up to a classroom for two hours a day and then go to your house. You you followed him everywhere. You slept where he slept. You traveled where he. You you learned up close, learned in the context of relationship that the longer a disciple, catch this, spent with his rabbi, he would begin to mimic and imitate that rabbi. His mannerisms, his words, his behavior, everything would be like his rabbi. There was a saying in that day that was kind of a word of encouragement to those young disciples that may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And we know literally what happened in those days that you walked everywhere. And when you walked, the roads were dirty and, and your feet would stir up dust. And so if you were following a rabbi, just by walking, by the nature, he would stir up dust. And so they're saying that the dust of your rabbi, as you're falling from town to town, place to place, you would be covered in his dust. And so, of course, figuratively, what does that mean? That you're so close, you're so committed to your master, your teacher, your Lord, that, that you are are experiencing the the effects of his influence. 
That sooner or later, as his dust covers you, your words become his words. That, that sooner or later, your thoughts are his thoughts. Sooner or later, your, your choices are his choices. That everything about you mimics and imitates your rabbi because you're being transformed. So as you think about following Christ, as you think about receiving the invitation to be his disciple and surrendering everything, have you been transformed? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? That's his plan for you. That's his hope for you. That's his desire. It's not too late to to partner with him in that process, to become like him, to become that disciple of Jesus. There was a recent study put out by the Barna Group. And if you know the Barna uh, Research Organization does a lot of spiritual analysis and polls and tracking throughout the United States. And, and so here recently in the last few years, they uh, just kind of had the, got the general temperature of America on spiritual things. And it was one of those kind of surveys. And they found that interest, curiosity was the word they used in, in spiritual things, but not just spiritual things, but in God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh God, that interest and, and curiosity in that God was kind of at the same level it's been for the last 50 years. So that hasn't waned at all, that people are still interested in learning about God and spiritual things, but they found commitment, religious devotion was decreasing. So they saw the disparity, learning and curiosity stayed the same while commitment was decreasing. And that reminded me of an illustration I heard by Tony Evans one time. He said, it's the difference between taking a class in college and auditing a class in college. You know the difference? So if you take a class in college, you show up and you pay the price, right? You pay the actual money to take the class. You show up, you listen to the lectures, you do the homework, you do the test in hopes that you get credit, that there's a profit, there's a reward at the end. But someone who audits a class, they just have to go. They don't have to pay, or if it is, it's minimal. They go and they sit and they listen. They learn some things, but they don't do the work. They don't have to take tests, and really there's no reward. And see, Jesus is calling each of us. When he says, come and be my disciple, he's not saying to audit me, to just show up and just learn about me. But he's saying, be committed, be all in, do the work. Come and follow me. Have you responded to that invitation to come follow him? Have you surrendered everything? Are you being transformed by him today? We're going to end today's service with a time of response and invitation. This is something we do from time to time. And by that, I mean, if you've been around church, you understand in a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand, sing a song. And there are many pastors here at the front. And so here's the invitation to you today, that if God is stirring your heart, you've never said yes to You know things about him. You may believe in him, but you've never committed your life to following him. Why don't you step out the aisle, come forward, and declare that decision to one of us. And I think God honors that faith. But but possibly you've done that. But you've never gone public with that by being baptized. You've never gone public and declaring your faith through baptism. You say, hey, I want to talk more about that and see what that means. Come forward. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe your next step in being fully surrendered, that maybe you've been an observer here at church and you've seen what's going on, but you want to get in the game and become a member of the church. And so we would love to talk to you about that. Or if you have any other spiritual need that God is talking to you about, that you would step out and surrender that to him today. And so Christian's going to come out in just a moment. He's going to lead in a song. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And you just move and respond as the Spirit of God leads you. And so pray with me. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you so much.
God, for the work of your spirit through the word of God, that, that as we consider even what, what Peter and Andrew and James and John, the decision that was before them, God, we see their, their faith in you that, that at the time of their invitation, when they were invited to be your disciple, they immediately dropped everything to follow you because they believed you were worthy. God, give us that kind of faith to believe that you are worthy of the, the smallest places in our life. God, those, those minute details, God, that we need to hand over to you so that everything we have will be yours. God, there are those in this room, I believe today, who have never said yes to you. They know about you. They've learned about you, but they've never committed their lives. Give them the faith and the courage to step out today and say yes to you. Those who also, God, would, would say that they haven't surrendered everything. Maybe there's a need, a prayer need, whatever it is. God, whatever you're leading them to do, God, Call them today to step out and respond to your work and their life. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross that does qualify us. We thank you for your mercy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.